Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. And it's so good to get your perspective, Janine, since we are not business owners, but yeah, uh, yes, we are. We don't pay taxes because we don't make money. But <laughs> not in the same way, I guess. Yeah, not in the same way. We don't live off of our business yet. There's the oh. thing. <laughs> that's, the difference. That's, that's, that's that's the key. key that's that's the, how yeah. it starts. <laughs> <laughs> she did say yeah. that's how it yeah. starts. That's how it starts. <laughs> Just do wait. But I agree. I mean, oh, I'm really glad that. Wait. Sorry. I'm glad. <laughs> it was right there. I had to take I it. I know. I know. <laughs> hey there, and welcome back to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we will be discussing business bosses and leaders. In today's special episode, we will talk about Dorothy Hughes. She was a politician, a mother, a business owner, and the first female architect in East Africa. I'm Jessica Rogers, dreaming about a nice brisket based out of Miami, Florida. Hey, girl. Hey, I'm Lizzie Rar, dreaming about Memphis dry rub spare ribs and Texas mm. beef brisket. I can't just yeah. choose one. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm Nargeri Rivas, thinking of pulled pork loaded baked potato mm. Oh, mm. oh, in Houston, Texas. Yes. Mm. Today is a super special episode, like Jessica said, because we have a super special guest and we are super excited. Super, super, super. Wee, wee, wee. Wee, yeah. Oh, wow. Hello. Surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Janine Chastain, heading out for some Carolina pulled pork from Raleigh, North Carolina nice. after this episode. Yes. yes. We have Janine Chastain, <laughs> owner of Apostrophe Consulting and co-host of Practice Disrupted. Janine, could you share with us a little bit more about yourself and the things that you do? Yes. So I, hello everyone. I'm a fellow podcaster visiting She Builds from Practice Disrupted. On our show, we research and explore how architectural practice is changing, particularly around the business side. Uh, And in the spirit of season six, 
and the theme that you all have picked on business owners and leaders. I'm here because I'm the founder of a women-owned business related to architecture, and I'm using my architectural training to help other architects strengthen and grow their businesses. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We're so excited to have you as our first guest host, and it's so fitting for this season. So welcome, Janine. Yay. Yay. (laughs) All right. Now for our disclaimer. The four of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information we find about each lady. And if we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning together. All right, ladies. So we begin our story in London, 80 years before our favorite co-host was born. Another superstar was born. Eugenie Dorothy Ullman which everyone called her Dorothy, was born on June 26, 1910 in London, England. Oh, oh yeah. Liking her birthday. I just like her already. (laughs) I'm excited to hear what you got lined up for us today, Jessica. So tell Mm -hmm. us why you picked Dorothy. The birthday, of course. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I was like, who was born on Norgidi's birthday? Duh. That's her. Uh, no, that's her. Actually, it was twofold. On our show, we're always trying to bring diversity in the stories that we tell. And I've been wanting to explore the architects that have worked in Africa, which, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about that. Um, it's just a general continent that is somewhat untapped in our research. It's kind of hard to find stories like this. But yeah, so that's one reason that was intriguing to me. And then the second, it was like a secondary theme that I had going on. So if you recall, episode 52, we did an episode on Dorothy Draper, episode 58, Doris Duke. So now here we are on episode 55, Dorothy Hughes. So there's like a Doris Dorothy theme going on that I really wanted to stick to for the season. (laughs) Priorities. Oh, and... And then on top of it all, she's a business owner, so it fits with the season 16, yes. that, which is the most important part besides all the other <laughs> stuff. But yeah. Well, we've had Carrie Tits from Africa, but yeah, now that I think about it, we haven't had an episode featuring an architect from Africa. So thank you, Jessica. Also, I like this Wizard of Oz secondary theme you got going on. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy's constantly trying to challenge myself, you know, just always got to. Take it to the extra, of course, extra level. But okay, so now researching Dorothy and her family, I couldn't quite find out what her parents did, except for the fact that they were British. Uh, When Dorothy was three, she and her family moved to the Rift Valley town of Eldoret in the USA Gishu County of Kenya. Oh, that's quite a change. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I wonder what her parents did. Besides being British, except maybe, you know, colonizing. That would be the other guess, I guess. Uh, Interesting that you say that because I was asking myself the same thing. I was very conflicted researching this episode because it did get me thinking, like, why? Why did they go to Kenya? Like, were these people colonizers? What did I get myself into? Like, it's I don't like where this is going. (laughs) Mm. Okay, well, I'm ready to hear it. Just tell us what you found. That was also my first thought, but I'm interested to find out more. (laughs) (laughs) If I could drop an emoji, it would be side eyes. I'm Mm. very curious. Yes. (laughs) 
On the lookout. <laughs> yes, on the lookout and side eyeing the whole story. Just like <laughs> waiting what for the shoe to drop kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like just tell me. Just tell me that you just yeah. But okay. So I did do some more digging. And what I will say is that her family did contribute to the colonization of Kenya, as did many Brits of that time. Sure. It was interesting though to read the history of Kenya during this time, during this period where people from India that lived there and I guess other Europeans, including the British government, felt entitled to say who would get more political rights, the Indians or the Africans. Of course. I guess I didn't realize that there were people from India going to Africa and that there were these kinds of like debates and hierarchies about them. Yeah. I mean, in general, Kenya was attractive to the British government because this would be a place where the British could trade products Mm -hmm. made by British industries. Kenya would also provide great resources like land for farming. Um, And, you know, I can't go further and not mention that the British had done several atrocities on the Kenyan people because through my research, I found like they mentioned massacres and concentration camps and like the horrible of the horrible. Yeah. Oh, Jessica, I'm kind of curious how this made you feel at this point in your research to be following the path of an architect whose family colonized Africa. Yeah, I it was that's why I said I was so conflicted about doing this story because, you know, one, as a black person that I don't know my African origin, but I know that my ancestry is started from there. So there's that conflict, right? And then the second part is as an architect background to like, what gives us the right to like infiltrate a country or a city or a town to like add these things that might not necessarily fit. So they're just like bulldozing Mm. what the heart of what the city could be. So it's very conflicting of that aspect. But later in my research, we'll get to it. I, I focused more on... Dorothy and how she was as a person and the work that she did that had some redeeming qualities. But I knew that whatever part of the story that I'll tell, I have to give the full range of it because I can't just say British people went to Kenya and built stuff. I had to like specifically say, no, British people and other Europeans came to Kenya and disrupted a lot of things and did a lot of horrible things, too. They didn't just put running water and plumbing and electricity. You know, they yeah. didn't. They didn't. <laughs> right. I mean, we can't avoid mentioning that these things happened. Like you're saying, Jessica, we don't want to gloss over the fact that Dorothy and her family were part of it. People are gray, right? And I think mm-hmm. in our research, we've come across the issue that most of the women architects we find in history in Africa are white, which is why we haven't done any episode so far, because likely they were part of colonization. So unless we mm-hmm. decide to not talk about these women at all, like we have up till this mm-hmm. point, we have to just talk about the good and the bad sides of them. Exactly. Yeah. I think that as a society, we need to get better and more comfortable about talking or reconciling the good and the bad parts of someone and events, because all of it is what makes up who we are and who they are and the full story of what happened. So when we try to paint someone as all good or all bad, we're really doing a disservice to ourselves because we don't get the full picture and we don't give ourselves a chance to learn from it. So as a part of Dorothy's story, if we have to discuss colonization, 
then let's do it because it's part of who she was and part of what she lived. And that doesn't discredit all the good that she might have done through her career. Humans in history are gray. Like Lizzie said, none of us are perfect and we need to talk about that. Yes, I couldn't agree more. So let's let's go back to happier, fun times, the light of our story. Let's go back to talking about Dorothy and her family, because it is quite a story of how they actually arrived in Kenya and the town where they settled. They would arrive in 1913, where they were supposed to go there to construct the second building of the Rift Valley town. So I couldn't find much on Dorothy's childhood after the move to Kenya. I can only really find stuff of like how she got there. It also made me wonder what life would be like of her being born in London and like what her first memories would be in Africa. But the only thing that I could find was that when she got to Kenya in 1913, they first had to travel by boat and then by train and then by ox cart. What's an ox cart? Like an ox pulling a cart? Yeah. What a journey that might have been. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine jumping on a random ox cart and not really knowing where you're going and no. then just having a random destination that you're setting out to and you're just on the ox cart till you get there? Yes. No, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't imagine it. It's wild to me, especially as a person who likes to plan. I'd be like, OK, so wait, where are we going? What's, what's yeah. next? <laughs> I'm very go with the flow. But that's a little too much. Actually, Janine, are you yeah. a planner or are you a go with the flow person? Mm, I think I'd want to visit the place that I'm going at least once before I decided to relocate. <laughs> <laughs> Your whole family. I have knowledge. Especially on an ox cart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's Prepared. a very good point. If someone told me to jump on an ox cart, but it was a vacation, I'd be like, yeah, sure. What's up? OK, let's go. But if they're saying like, no, we're moving to a whole new continent. <laughs> Jump on an ox cart, go. You'd have questions. Oh gosh. <laughs> I'd have a couple questions. But anyway, back to Dorothy, right? So she grows up in Kenya, ends up going to the AA, which is the Architectural Association School in London to study architecture. So if you hadn't noticed, we jumped up. She's from ox cart to living in Kenya, then going to college in London. <laughs> uh, yeah. Time huge, warp. T- huge <laughs> Yep. Um, in 1931, Dorothy becomes an architect. Yeah, she would spend a year or so working on a housing project in Westminster before returning to Kenya. So as she moves to Kenya, this makes her the first woman architect in East Africa. Well, congrats, Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah. Another AA graduate. Way to go, Dorothy. Welcome to Mm -hmm. the profession, Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So in the following year, Dorothy would marry her hubby, John J. Hughes, who was a Ford agent. And actually, he would become a business owner himself, as he would later be the founder of Hughes Motors, which is a car dealership. So together, they would have six kids. Whoa. But also, when you said Ford agent, I was like, secret yeah. agent, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. like the agent thing felt very like spy situation. I thought that he was going to be a government official and like part of yes. a special mm-hmm. division in Kenya called the Fords. <laughs> yeah. I didn't make the connection about cars. And then she yeah, kept the going. Agent and I was like, oh. really threw me off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 
Too bad. I would have liked to know the version where he is a secret agent yes. married to an architect. A hundred percent. Yes. 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 Don't tempt us. We might do a whole charrette on that. We would make it up. <laughs> <laughs> make up our own story. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but you said that they had six kids. Yeah. That's a lot. Do you have a lot of siblings, Janine? I have an older sister and she's 11 years older than me and it's just us. Um, So I think it would be fun to have more siblings. I think, I don't know. I'm not sure what that's like, but (laughs) six is too much. (laughs) I think six is a lot. (laughs) Um, So her husband, John was the first one into the world of entrepreneurship. Is that right? I guess that checks out for this point in time. Yeah, definitely for Kenya. I did find it kind of cute and kind of fitting for our season because it wasn't just our lady, but her hubby, that they would have the Hugh Motors company, which, by the way, it would become a very large car dealership company in Kenya. It would also keep Dorothy busy because she would be the one to design their showrooms, their car garages and any other necessary commercial spaces. for. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we've talked before about how important showroom design is during Florence Knoll's episode. But car showroom sounds like an interesting challenge. You need a lot of space. Yep. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. But I wonder if back then, if the showrooms were different than they are now, were they like big open spaces in the front with cars and offices in the back like they are now? I don't know. Did she think about how to display the cars and increasing sales? And on top of that, it's for her own family, too. So I wonder if she had a lot of pressure, if she felt a lot of pressure when she was doing these car dealerships or if she had fun. Oh, yeah. Like my livelihood depends on it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for the husband, right? He just needed a spot to sell the cars so he could probably sell them outside, behind a tree, in front of a toilet. (laughs) Like he he was an agent, you know, he he, could do better. Dorothy, I think whatever work Dorothy did, it just enhanced Elevated the whole him. car by. Yeah. So um, but I'm sure those uh, stressors or those thoughts that that you mentioned, Energy, probably impacted her. But if it did, I couldn't tell because on top of designing these showrooms for the husband and birthing all of these six children, <laughs> uh, Dorothy herself would start her own firm with a partner, Dick Polkinghorn, in 1946. Together, they would have offices in Nairobi, Mombasa, Uganda, and the Seychelles. Okay, this is the part I want to hear more about. A woman running Mm -hmm. a business in 1946. That's a big deal, (laughs) even if it's part of a partnership. 100%. Yeah, last season we talked about the avenues women had at the time to practice in architecture, and a lot of them started as partnerships. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, though, that she had a partnership with someone who wasn't her husband, which True. I think we discovered last season was definitely less common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wish I could find more information about this particular partnership, especially after some of the stories and conversations that we've had last season. And since that was our theme. But well, yeah. even though most partnerships were romantic like husband wife duos we learned that that wasn't always the case that there were purely practical business partners too Mm -hmm. even though it was not the norm but it wasn't unheard of you know yeah which i'm guessing is what dorothy and dick were strictly business though Mm -hmm. dnd sounds kind of (laughs) cute they could have had like a dungeons and dragons theme wedding (laughs) they could have yeah this is where my mind goes (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. But you're right. I think non-romantic female male partnerships at that time were not unheard of, but also not super common. Right. Mm-hmm. I was surprised when you said her partner was a man, Jessica, because I think a lot of times women partnered with their husband because then the husband understood the amount of work involved with the firm or they started a company on their own. But I'm impressed that she started with another man and was also raising six kids. I mean, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no joke. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder if there was some type of understanding between her husband and Dorothy's partner, Dick, because right? I don't know, it just kind of seems unusual to me. Uh, but clearly, <laughs> Dorothy had some serious skills um, that she could contribute. Otherwise, I don't know what would constitute that kind of highly unusual situation that you'd pull a mother of six away from a household um, at that point in time in history. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I also want to point out, though, that in season five, when we talked about partnerships, one of our ladies was Charlotte Perrion. That was very much tied to Corbusier and Jean Perret and all of that. And she didn't have no romantic things well, yeah, going we, on. We she talked had, about several women who or a couple women yeah. who had non-romantic partnerships. That's what we were mm-hmm. saying. It's rare, but it can happen. But so the next part about, you know, taking a mother away from her household. Well, what I found fascinating in my research, because, you know, you question six kids, a husband, a, another partner for your own business. Like, how do you get it done? How do you like how was she working? Right. Mm -hmm. So in my research, I found a segment about Dorothy in the Architects Journal where the author said that Dorothy would include a special clause in all of her contracts, all of her building contracts that needed to have a room to nurse her babies. How cool is that? She purposely did that so that she doesn't necessarily get to pull herself away from her kids. She just brought them along with her. Clever architect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Frankly, I love hearing about, you know, what she was negotiating for at that period of her career. You know, it's interesting because we're about to do an upcoming episode on our show about mothers in the workplace in mm. modern day society. And the reality is that a mother's room is still not always considered a standard in every business, mm-hmm. even today. Yeah. So the fact that it was back then is really interesting to hear. And I hear all the time from my architect friends who are mothers and they struggle and they're trying to figure out that balance. But they even report that architects in considering the design of their own studios often forget about designing mother's rooms into their studio plan. Yeah, Hmm. totally. I mean, Dorothy was a visionary, I think. But really, this is just like a common basic necessity that women need in spaces. It shouldn't be a special thing. Like Janine said, it's crazy that it's not a standard. Yeah. You know, it, it needs to be in the IBC for however many square feet <laughs> yeah. an yes. office has. You need a mother's room or a quiet room or whatever you want to call it. And it needs to have a fridge, a sink and a comfy chair. Yes. yes. <laughs> Amen. It's so true. It doesn't take much, right, to make a difference for working moms. And I love that Dorothy was standing up for what she needed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so besides her amazing building contracts that included mother's rooms for her to take care of her babies, the actual projects that came out of those building contracts would include like the Golden Beach Hotel, the Moranji House. But her most notable work would be the National Theater, which would open in 1952 by the famous actor of the time, Ralph Richardson. Ooh, those sound like cool projects. Will we see pictures in the show notes? 
you know, I usually try to find images, so I'll try to get as much as you can, but you'll have to check out our show notes, listeners, to see them. That's a good portfolio of high profile projects. Yeah. So one project that I know that she also designed was the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Nairobi. So that's pretty noteworthy uh, and high profile. Another high profile project she would do would be the Princess Elizabeth Hospital for Women, which would then become the main Nairobi hospital. Oh, this list gets better and better. And so many types of projects too: hospital, church, theater, hotel. I like her variety. Clearly, she was going for generalist style architect. Yeah. (laughs) And sidebar, I think specialization has become something more prevalent in modern business strategy than in uh, our historic lessons on architects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. I think at the time and historically, architects just went for any project that you could get, right? And especially if it was a good high profile project, I also just wonder if at that time Kenya was expanding so much so that there was just a lot of opportunity for different types of work, right? Because they were Uh, just building up a lot of infrastructure. That makes sense. Mm. I go back and forth from listening to different business owners in our profession. There's something to be said about being a generalist and taking on everything that you can find because if you have a lot of markets you can ride a lot of market waves but then I also hear that specialization that's a tough word (laughs) is the way to go (laughs) and where a profession is headed actually Janine can I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts on this because you're a business owner what do you think I think that Owners, like in terms of our clients, see value in hiring architects who know their project type really well. Yeah. Uh, Savvy owners recognize that they don't want to pay for the learning curve of an architect taking on a new project type for the first time. Mm. And I think business oriented architects also recognize that this can put additional expenses on their bottom line of an already tight project budget and schedule. So what I do recommend is to build your expertise around more than one project type, but to also consider that taking on too many project types can create complications in spreading your portfolio too thin. But when you're in a market downturn, which we may be having one coming up, it's good to have enough diversity in your portfolio that you can ride out the ups and downs of any of those markets dropping in demand during that time. So I think it's really about balance. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you don't want to be pigeonholed, right? But you also don't want to be spread too thin that you're not doing well in the types of projects that you're doing. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So in Dorothy's case, she's a mom, she's an architect, business owner, wife. All of the project types. (laughs) And on top of that, in the early 1950s, she would be vice president and president of the East African Women's League that would raise money for the hospital and others. So, yes, whoop, whoop, because what else? There she is, Dorothy, business owner and leader. Very fitting for this season. Yes. I like to see how she was working to better the community that she was designing for. Agreed. Yeah, it's interesting to know all of her work outside of architecture, really. She would become an elected member of the Nairobi City Council. She became a Kenyan delegate to the Lancaster House Conference. Nice. So architect slash politician. How millennial of her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, this reminds me, Janine, I was listening to the Practice Disrupted episode on architecture and civic leadership. I thought it was very, very interesting. 
Oh, thanks. Mm -hmm. I love that episode. And um, we, I guess we had a mayor on that episode and we talked to the Mayor's Institute on City Design. Mm. But yeah, Nurjuri, I really love hearing uh, the stories of individuals who have successfully applied what they've learned Mm. in architecture school and practice into new career pathways, like blending public service and architecture. It's amazing how much is transferable from our education and training into other pathways. Yes, I was getting ideas from the episode. I think in another <laughs> life, I would have been a politician. So, <laughs> <laughs> no jury for public office. You've got my vote. Yay. Yes, I'd vote for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes. So. What was also interesting about Dorothy were her political views, because Dorothy would enter the first multiracial political party in Kenya, Mm -hmm. which was founded to counter African nationalism and European conservatism and called for independence with a multiracial coalition government. Okay, I got to say that I like hearing this, especially after how this episode started. Yeah. The conversation <laughs> that we had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's nice to learn or have an idea of where her values were and that she worked to move mm-hmm. away from colonialism and more towards a space where all citizens were included. Yeah. See, it's important to learn about a whole person and all the events. This is what I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I like seeing the full arc of her story and how she addressed these issues later in her life after living in Kenya and living with the people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I like I mentioned earlier, side eye emojis, but they were some redeeming qualities. So we're going to keep going because <laughs> there's more. <laughs> there's more. You know, Dorothy, she was. A busy woman. She always kept busy. I mean, I keep mentioning that she has six kids because it's hard for me to fathom (laughs) just taking care of six kids. But on top of everything that I've mentioned before, she would be elected fellow by Reba in 1960. And we've talked about her philanthropic work, too. She would be the founding chairman of the Society for Deaf Children, the Edvall Trust for Girls in Need, just to name a few. And all of this, of course, was recognized in 1984 by the National Council of Women of Kenya. They would award Dorothy with their Certificate of Merit as a, quote, vital pillar in the shaping of Kenya's social and economic development, guiding the youth, fostering the welfare of women and the needy and educating leaders in many spheres. Wow. Very yes, nice. Applause. Yes. I mean, yes, it sounds like she was involved in a lot of different causes. And I like that she was mm-hmm. recognized for it. Love this. Yeah. I'm doing a little heart sign. <laughs> yeah, I just in this season of business owners and leaders, Dorothy just seemed like such a great example of both. You know, I'm honestly so excited that you're focusing on this theme for this season. As a business owner, I'm always looking for business mentors. And this mm-hmm. is inspiring. It's great to hear about women that came before me and setting out on their own business journeys. And it's amazing to feel connected to leaders of the past like Dorothy. Yeah. Janine, I'm really glad that you joined our conversation today. I feel like you added a lot of value. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. I really it's an honor. I loved being here. Yay! Yay. Don't say that too much. We'll invite you again. (laughs) Well, I do listen to the podcast quite a bit, so we're pretty much hanging out on a regular basis. (laughs) That's true. That's true. We listen to you too. I mean, yeah. All right. So Dorothy would pass away at the age of 77 on August 16th, 1987 in London. It was noted that at the time she had 13 grandchildren. (laughs) 
And right before she passed, she was en route to attend one of her granddaughter's weddings. It was interesting little tidbit that I found that I wanted to include too. And I think it just solidified how much of like a matriarch she was for her family and for all the things that she was able to accomplish as an architect, a philanthropist, a politician. Oh, I love that. But I'm really sad to hear that she didn't make it to the wedding. But it sounds like she was a big figure in her family. So yeah. thanks for sharing her story with us, Jessica. Yeah, great story. You're welcome. I wasn't sure where it was going to go at first. And then it turned <laughs> yeah. out to be really informative and inspiring. Like always. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had the same sentiments, Nergeri. But thank you, ladies and Janine, for listening to this story, allowing me to tell it. This episode definitely brought a lot of interesting things that I hadn't thought of before, like British colonization, being a mother and having a business and being an activist. You have to remember the time period, too. I yeah. think Janine touched on it, on just like entrepreneurship. Where did that exist in the world in that capacity? You know, having multiple offices and mm-hmm. locations. So it was very cool. I'm glad we got to talk about her in this season of business leaders. So now we are at the second half of our show, the karyotid time. So, Nerjiri, can you remind us what a karyotid is? Sure thing, chicken wing. <laughs> Ooh, classic. <laughs> I like barbecue chicken wing. Ooh. Oh, Ooh yeah. There it is. Smoked chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got really hungry all of a sudden again. Well, let me tell you about the karyotid then. It's a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. In each episode, we choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. So this week's karyotid goes to... Emma Miloyo. All right. So I'm actually really excited to talk about Emma because Emma is an architect based out of Kenya. In 2017, she became the first woman president of the Architectural Association of Kenya. With her husband, she co-found her corporate architecture firm, Design Source, that specializes in hospitality, commercial, and energy across East Africa. Woo-woo! Another partnership. I love it. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, indeed. So this is what I thought was so fascinating. Um, when I was looking at this profile on Emma, I'll include the link in our show notes. They had mentioned that Kenya was in the midst of a construction boom, right? This article, it was written in 2016, but it said that Kenya had the largest number of projects in the region. And Emma's office, it was right in the center of it all. So it just makes me believe that business is booming for her, right? And it also reminded me of Dorothy because I feel like Dorothy, perhaps at her time, was at the realm of, yes, colonizing Kenya, but... This architectural boom in Kenya because they were building all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But then fast forward to today, Emma's doing the same thing. So Dorothy was at the beginning, but now Emma is leading on this next wave. I love that. It's like they're bookending the current timeline of Kenya. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. I'm excited to look her up and follow her. Yeah. Yeah. All right, ladies. Before we sign off, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music. John W., our technical producer, 
And most of all, thank you all for listening. We hope you've enjoyed learning more about Dorothy and Emma along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and our amazing professional ladies. And also special thank you to another amazing professional lady, Janine, for guest hosting with us, our very first. So thanks for having me. I love listening to these stories week to week. So thank you so much for everything you do. And I loved spending time with you today. Yeah. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com, like Practice Disrupted, which Janine hosts. Go check it out, guys. Mm -hmm. That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your politicians. Your business partners. Your business owners. Your car salesmen. Yeah, all the people (laughs) that would be interested in today's episode. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. Also give us five stars on Spotify. This all helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about literal women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at She Builds Podcast and on Twitter at She Builds Pod. Until then, bye. 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 It's the rule of our of our show, right? We only do dead ladies. There's so an we end. all know they got a day. Yeah. <sighs> all right, I'm ready. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? 
Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.